Welcome to Women Waken, a podcast that helps you heal spiritually from trauma in relationships, childhood, and early life conditioning to shift from a place of codependency into a divine feminine state of love, harmony, and abundance. On Women Waken, we begin the journey to waken from the illusion of needing to prove our worth into the divine experience of knowing our worth. I'm your host, Whitney Walker. I'm a licensed mental health therapist, and I specialize in substance abuse, addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and spirituality. I'm also a fellow human being who has experienced most of the issues that I explore on this show. On today's guest episode, I have a awesome guest, the author of the book, The Power of Awe, Jake Eagle, is on the podcast today. Jake is a fellow psychotherapist. He's also a mindfulness instructor and the co-founder of Live Conscious. Jake developed the awe method. He shares on this episode why awe is a very unique emotion, and he shares about the power of awe and the research that he's done on this very unique and very beneficial aspect of human consciousness, human emotions, and the human experience. So take a listen and enjoy. Hi, Jake. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Nice to be here. I've been looking forward to it. Me too. I've been very excited to have you on, Jake. You were kind enough to send a copy of your book, which is called The Power of Awe. Overcome burnout and anxiety, ease chronic pain, find clarity and purpose in less than one minute a day. That's yeah, a pretty- I always, I'm always embarrassed by the subtitle because <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like we're promising the world and that you can fix everything in a minute a day. And I've never really been a big believer in shortcuts, but um, based on the research we did, this very simple practice if you do it for about a minute a day, it it actually has very significant benefits. Absolutely. All right. Well, before we get into that, because it is pretty remarkable what you all have come up with, and I'm excited for you to share it. Can you bring us back to where did this come from? Where did this inspiration to explore the concept of awe, which I just want to first say is that in general, I think it's so wonderful to bring attention to the ability to marvel at life. I know that this is in itself is a healing modality, but even just inspiring and and encouraging people to slow down a little, to look at all of the incredible things around us. You know, our world moves so quickly that so often people don't do that. And not only it, it can be just a beautiful experience to feel more connected, but as you found, it actually is restorative and healing. That's exactly right. And you've just sort of encapsulated the essence of it. It's a matter of slowing down and finding those things in our lives that are sources of inspiration and awe, because it's a uniquely powerful emotion and one that hadn't been studied much until about 20 years ago. Yeah. So tell us about that. When did you first come into understanding and recognizing that there was something here and that you wanted to work with it? Well, I was teaching a course online uh, before the pandemic. And in that course, I was the title of the course was Thrilled to Be Alive. And it was a three-week program where I I was asking people to meditate 10 minutes a day. 
And what was interesting is that about half the people said they didn't have 10 minutes a day to meditate. They said, I just, I can't do it. So I suggested that they do what I called at the time a micro meditation where you just meditate for 30 to 60 seconds by putting your attention on something that makes you feel better, makes you feel good. And whenever I do these courses, I always have people take psychological evaluations before and after. And what I noticed was that the people who did these very brief meditations were getting benefits that were similar or even better to the people who were meditating 10 minutes a day. And that surprised me. Um, one of the members in that class was my co-author, Dr. Michael Amster. And he and I both thought this was very interesting because we're longtime meditators and we were surprised. So we decided to run pilot projects and we each ran one. He did it with his pain patients and I did it with some of the people who had been in my private practice. And we asked them over a period of 21 days to start focusing through what we now called microdosing mindfulness, having these microdoses throughout the day of mindfulness and what we didn't really know what we were doing at the time, but what we were doing is we were inviting people to enter a state of awe because we were asking them to put their attention for a very short period of time on things that were life enhancing, things that were remarkable or amazing to them in some way. So we did this study and both of us got almost identical results, which were very significant. So we took this to who was at the time probably the leading researcher on the emotion of awe. His name is Dacker Keltner, and he runs the Greater Good Science Center in Berkeley at the University of California. We showed him our results, and he just said, this is really astounding. I think you guys are tapping into what he called the future of mindfulness. Because from his point of view, mindfulness is incredibly important and valuable psychologically and to our physical well-being, but people are getting so busy and feeling so rushed, they don't take the time to do it. And we found a way for people to microdose on mindfulness. So Dacker suggested we do a large study and he helped us put it together. We did it at the University of California and we did it with the hospital where Michael was working in California called North Bay. We ended up with about 200 healthcare workers and 300 lay people. And we had the whole study ready to go. And that's when the pandemic hit, which actually was fantastic because we were dealing with people who were under a lot of stress and pressure, particularly the healthcare workers. But everybody was super stressed out at that point. This was in June of 2020. We did the study. It takes three weeks. And we asked people to practice the awe method that we developed three times a day. And each time it takes about 20 seconds. So over the course of a day, that's a minute. And what we saw were significant reductions in depression, anxiety, loneliness, physical symptoms of pain and discomfort. And we saw improvement in mindfulness and well-being. And because it was a fairly large study with approximately 500 people in it, the results were considered to be very significant. And that brought the results to uh, some publishers. We had several publishers who were interested in us writing a book. And that's what we ended up doing. We spent a year writing a book. And then we, for the last year, we've been out talking about it because the book came out in January of 2023. 
Wow. What a journey. What a path. Yeah, very unexpected. I, I uh, had written a book in 2010, but I didn't expect to write another one. Certainly not like this, but um, we felt it was important information to put out, particularly at this time where people do feel rushed and overwhelmed. What I found interesting at one point in your book, you speak about, and maybe it was your predecessor, the person you said who, who was a prominent researcher of awe, maybe it was him that had spoken with somebody. And I just remember a quote in the book was that somebody had said, awe is nothing really to research because it's sort of a luxury thing that we right. can't really use as data to determine whether or not, you know, people aren't going to use that. It's not significant enough. Yeah, that was a, another researcher in Arizona who said at the time that awe was like the Gucci bag of emotions. You know, yeah. it was it was something might be nice to have, but you don't need it. And then what we discovered is actually that's really not true, that awe is not a luxury. It's actually a very significant positive emotion that affects us physiologically and psychologically. And it works in many unique ways. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Awe has been demonstrated, and this isn't our work, but people who did this in 2015 demonstrated that when you access the emotion of awe, you will reduce the levels of inflammation in your system, which is huge because of course, all disease involves inflammation. And so if we can get people to shift their nervous system into a state where inflammation markers go down, then that's going to help them heal and recover and experience greater well-being. Absolutely. And then it, so in turn, it must also reduce stress because we know that stress is one of the number one producers of cortisol and, and inflammation and disease in our body. And it makes sense because when you think of awe, I know all of us have experienced it. And it usually, for me, it's a sense of total peace, something, it, it might be very ephemeral, a short moment, but it just is something that you say, wow, that there's something big. There's something I feel connected to this. I feel in awe of this. And it's a remarkable moment. And just as you said, it, it actually is extremely important. It's not luxury because again, I think it's something that we've lost touch with, which is that we are on this earth to experience awe and magnificent and to revel in the wonder that is this planet that we find ourselves on. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I find interesting as you try to describe awe, it's almost as if you can't find the words. Do you notice that? Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and that's, it's a fascinating part of it because awe takes us into a state of consciousness where there actually are not words. It's a nonverbal state. And in our culture, that's very unusual. So people talk about gratitude as an example, and we have a lot of words and we can describe gratitude and we can talk about it with other people. But when we go beyond that into the emotion of awe, words drop away, time drops away, and we experience exactly what you were trying to describe, which is this expansiveness, this sense of something greater that we actually can't describe. Absolutely. And what's also significant is that as you're saying this, I think of what I've heard a lot of people describe through plant medicine journeys or psychedelic journeys. And to think that you don't have to do that. I think some people are, these are wonderful modalities. I'm in great support of psychedelic assisted treatments and such. Yet people, I think, believe, well, I can't feel that. I can't know that unless I take 
something or use have an altered state. But what you're introducing is the idea that it's actually accessible to us all time at all times. Um, truly all the time. And, and, and when I say truly all the time, I mean, even when we're struggling, even when we're depressed, even when we're scared, we can still access awe. And it, it's a very unique emotion in that you can experience it while experiencing other emotions. So for example, if you're unhappy, it's really hard to experience joy at the same time. It's it's not really feasible. But you can be unhappy and experience awe. There's a there's a section in our book where we quote Viktor Frankl, who was in Auschwitz during World War II in the concentration camp. And he talks about these scenes that are as horrific as you could possibly imagine. Maybe we can't even imagine. But in the midst of these terrible situations, he was able to access the emotion of awe and connect with the profundity of being a human being with other human beings in this terrible situation and yet still able to find beauty. Every time I think of that, I, I think of people who say, well, I can't experience awe because I'm having a tough day or because I, you know, some relatively minor thing. And yet the reality is we can, if we shift our attention, if we shift our attention to the things that stimulate awe, it's around us all the time. And, and it, it's important to say it doesn't require something extraordinary. The research on awe, for the most part, before what we did, they were using sources of awe that were extraordinary, things like taking people to the Grand Canyon or having people stand at the foot of a redwood tree or asking people to wear a virtual reality headset. What we're saying is you can find awe in the ordinary. You can find it in the meal that you're eating. You can find it if you look around your room and you see a piece of art or you see something that someone you love gave you, or you have an animal, maybe you have a pet, that can be a source of awe. Or it can be looking at your into your partner's eyes. It's, it's literally all around us if we take the time to stop and find it. Yeah. Any little thing can be yes. awe-inspiring. But I know that, so if, if some people feel that they they can't, they struggle to capture it a bit, I know that what I like to do to ground myself and reconnect myself and experience awe is, is time in nature just a simple break from my day to go walk through any path, any garden, because just anything you see, you can, there's something about nature where life itself is, is just being created and unfolding where you really can just take a step back and say, wow, this is remarkable. And just, and literally feel in awe of this thing in front of you. We identified three primary sources of awe. And what you just described is the most natural, which is to be in nature. It's the most natural way for people to experience awe. And we call that sensorial awe because it wakes up our senses. There's the visual, there's the kinesthetic, and there's the aromas, all sorts of things in nature that stimulate our senses. We then identified another source of awe that we call interconnected. And that's where maybe you have a pet and you're connecting with your pet, or it could be another person. It could be hugging someone. And that's the interconnected awe. And then the third area we call conceptual awe, which arises when you hear an idea or you learn a fact about something that you can barely get your mind around. It's just so extraordinary. Um, and that's conceptual awe. 
And some people find conceptual law easy to access. Other people don't find it as easy. But in general, being in nature seems to be the quickest way for most people to experience the emotion of awe. Interesting. Do you consider there to be a difference between awe and bliss? Because I was thinking the way that people describe bliss, where they just feel this sense of just love, this sense of joy within them, just because I've actually heard people talk about sort of spontaneous bliss, where they'll, they'll just suddenly have like a wash of just love and warmth come over them. Do you, would you say that that's different from awe? I think it's probably semantics. I, the distinction I would make is if you're able to describe it with words in a very clear way, then it probably isn't awe because awe does have this nonverbal quality to it where I literally cannot reduce what I'm experiencing to words. All I can do is just kind of tell you how extraordinary it was or how overwhelming it was or how I lost track of time. I lost any sense of anxiety or discomfort or limitation. Those are the, the kinds of things people say when they experience awe. And for some people, probably bliss and awe would be interchangeable. Both wonderful things. And yes, probably just, you know, different ways of describing a similar sensation. Do you think that people have become desensitized to awe in our modern life? Well, I think that instead of being desensitized, I would say we're just so distracted. We're so distracted and so much of the stimulation we get is so intense that we don't even notice the subtle things in our lives anymore. The, you know, what we're asking people to do is just bring your attention to the simple things around you. And it, it isn't just around you, it also could be a memory. I mean, if you have a person in your life who you deeply love, who's maybe no longer with you, and you take a moment to think about that person, what they meant to you, and you give yourself 10 or 15 seconds to be with that, it's likely to induce a state of awe. And the problem is that we just don't take the time for it. And when we ask people to meditate, say 10 minutes a day, they'll often say, I just don't have the time. But when I ask people if they have 15 or 20 seconds, they always say, well, yeah, I, of course I can do that. And so one of the keys to the method we developed is there's no resistance. People don't say, well, I don't have time to do that. They just go, yeah, you know, I'll try it. Could you tell us a bit more, Jake, about this, this method? Because you guys did actually create a method for people to easily understand and experience Ah, and it is it uses the acronym AWE. You all were clever enough to to create that. So can you tell us about the A, the W, and the E in your method? Sure. Yeah. So the A stands for attention, and and the idea is that you take your attention and place it on something that you find that is positive to you. It, it's a it's some something. It could be amazing. It, it just captivates your mind and your being. After you do that. The W is where you wait. And when I say wait, it's just very brief. This whole thing, remember, this whole thing takes 15 to 20 seconds. So you put your attention on something that you find profoundly moving or captivating. You then wait, and where you're waiting is where you just amplify your attention a little bit. And I'll tell you in a minute why that's important. And then the E stands for exhale and expand. 
And so now you're going to exhale and your exhalation, we ask you to have it be a little bit longer than normal. And I'll tell you why also in a minute. And when, when you do that, whatever sensations in your body will be amplified. So if you started off with your attention on something that was positive, and then you have this temporary pause of waiting, and then the long exhalation, that long exhalation activates the vagus nerve. And when we activate the vagus nerve, we shift our, our nervous system in the direction of rest and repair or relaxation. And that's where there's this enhanced movement of energy in our body that's going to, it's going to be different for different people at different times, but it can be quite significant. When I do it, I get chills that run up my spine. Um, other times I'll have a tingling sensation. Sometimes it'll be more subtle and I'll just have a, a, a sense of, of re deep relaxation, maybe a sweetness, a tenderness. So it, it varies depending on the time and the circumstance. The reason we wait is because when we wait and we just give 110% of our attention to something, we quiet certain regions of the brain known as the default mode network. So we just quiet all that mental chatter. It just goes down, down, down until there isn't any, which makes it even easier to bring in the sensations that we're experiencing in our body. That makes sense. And what do you offer to individuals who might describe themselves as very wound up, anxious? They have a hard time slowing down. They have a hard time even, I would imagine the people that maybe needed to be encouraged to do micro meditations where they don't feel like they can put their mind at rest. Cause a lot of people will describe that when they're trying to start a meditation practice, mindfulness practice, they'll say, I can't, my brain doesn't slow down. Yeah. I'd say this is perfect for you. If, if you find yourself in that category, this is ideal. So your mind doesn't slow down. You have a lot going on. There's a lot of internal chatter can you, for 10 seconds, can you focus on something that you appreciate, value, or find to be amazing? That's the question. Can you do that for 10 seconds? So far, I've never had anybody say no. And so if you have, you know, if, if you're listening now, you can just think about something that you appreciate, value, or find to be amazing. Can you find something like that, either in your memory or looking around? And do you think you could focus on that for five to 10 seconds? Because if so, then you can do the awe practice. And I'm curious about how you did the research. Did you do it in person or did you send requests out to people and say, document a time where you find something, you know, give them the method, or did you have people come into a research lab and did you give them something to be in awe of, or was it always up to them to find it was up to them to find it. And it was during the pandemic. So we did it all via Zoom. We would meet on, I think it was on Mondays, we would meet for an hour and everybody would be online. We'd give a short lecture explaining the method and then we would answer questions. And then we would ask people to practice over the week at least three times a day. And they had a place where they would um, fill out the questionnaires on a daily basis. They would do a log saying, how many times did I experience awe? What was my level of stress? What was my level or degree of loneliness or depression or anxiety? And we tracked that over 22 days. And what we saw again was this fairly significant decrease of 
tension, anxiety, depression, with an increase in well-being. And there was a what's called a dose response. And what that means is the more people did it, the better the result. So there were people who did it more than three times a day, and they got even more significant results. Interesting. And did you do this before? I know you did the microdosing meditation, the micro meditations with your with clients because you're a therapist. Yes. Did you bring this into your therapy rooms before you started doing it formally in research? Yeah, I started to play around with it both in my life personally and also with clients. And one of the things I like the most about this, Whitney, is that you can use it proactively. So imagine that you're in a relationship with a partner and you want to have a conversation and you're kind of concerned that it's it could be tense. There may be some differences of opinion. So what I would say is for you, and hopefully if your partner's willing, you each take 30 seconds and you shift into a state of awe. You access awe before you have the conversation. And then you have the conversation. And what happens is you bring yourself to the conversation in a different state. Your nervous system has switched into a more receptive, open, less defensive state, which changes the tone of the conversation. Another example, I have clients who come in to see me, they're agitated, they're upset, and they start to tell me what it is they're upset about. And what I'll do is I'll interrupt them and say, we will get to that, we'll talk about it. But what I want you to do is I want you to take a half a minute and I want you to go through the awe method and I'm gonna guide you. So I take them through the awe method. When they're done, we don't debrief, I just say, okay, now we can go back and talk about what you wanted to discuss. Their voice, changes, their breathing pattern changes, they slow down, they're more receptive. And so we're now working at what I would refer to as a different level of consciousness. And that's what the awe method does is it takes us to a different level of consciousness. Absolutely. Well, just to kind of zoom out a little bit and look at a bigger picture, do you feel, Jake, that this is sort of illuminating and offering some concepts around a greater shift that humanity can experience to reduce violence and tensions and fighting between people? Because just as you described, I think we've all had that time where we realized we're just a moment away from being able to have what is so the nonviolent communication movement is a big thing, very helpful. When we are at a, a lowered state, uh, a more calm state, a more open state, we're able to communicate without that tension. And I think a lot of it, which as you described, the awe method produces is you are able to sort of drop your defenses. Exactly. Right. You're no longer defending something. You're no longer tense and re prepared to fight. You're just kind of relaxed. You realize there isn't a threat. Where you thought exactly that right, exactly right. And we've identified three levels of consciousness. And the one that you're talking about, where we're in a defensive posture, we call safety consciousness. We're very concerned about making ourselves feel safe and making our loved ones safe, which is not a bad thing. It's just that we limit ourselves by being in safety consciousness way too much of the time. It, it, it's valuable and necessary. But there are other states above safety consciousness. There's something called heart consciousness, which is where we're in an open hearted state 
and have a lot of gratitude and appreciation. And that's very valuable. Um, one of the best examples out there, if people want to learn about it, is something called heart math. It's an excellent way for people to access heart consciousness. And then beyond that is what we call spacious consciousness, which you and I've been talking about, where words drop away, time drops away, urgency drops away, and that's where we access awe. Now, people have been trying for centuries to find ways to get to spacious consciousness, which is a contemplative state. And most contemplative practices represent that it takes a lot of practice and discipline and time to be able to do this. But our experience is that the awe method is like a shortcut. It's a direct way to take ourselves into this altered state of consciousness. And li literally in 15 to 30 seconds, I can take myself there anytime with one exception, which is if I'm truly in physical danger, right? If, if a tiger is chasing me, I won't be able to do this because I'm going to be in the fight flight mode, which is appropriate. The problem is that much of the time we go into fight flight mode, not because we're physically being threatened, but because our identity, our ideas about who we are, that's what's being threatened. Somebody calls us stupid. Well, that's not, for the most part, that's not really physically threatening. I, I suppose it could be, but generally it's not. What's being challenged is my ideas about who I am. And going into fight flight is not an appropriate response in that circumstance, but it is what we do uh, way too often. And it's what we see on the international scene in terms of what's going on around the world. Right. Right. Because we're feeling that we can't feel safe. We need to be defensive and to protect ourselves. Yes. And when we go into that state, our behavioral flexibility and our options decrease significantly. Right. We have right. far fewer choices. How do you think that we can start to experience more besides using this method? But in general, you know, I think that people would experience more awe more often if they didn't feel that they were constantly trying to battle stress, overwhelm, uncertainty, fear, right? Those are, are all big barriers to our or perceived barriers, right? As you're describing, it's always available to you. And actually what's coming to mind is inter interesting that you bring up Viktor Frankl, because I think about studies that they've done of prisoners and individuals who are in the most dire of situations, the most isolated, but yet they somehow found this connection to a sense of love, to a sense of awe, even in this isolation. So it just shows you that we don't need circumstances to be any sort of way to connect with that sense because it's an inherent sense. It's what the yeah. I believe is the actual human experience. That's what it is. Consciousness is awe. It's a constant. If you're always in a state of higher consciousness or the level that you describe where it's sort spacious. of spacious that you'd always just be like looking around like, wow, this isn't this amazing. But we don't feel able to do that because it does feel a bit more heavy here. There's a lot of fearful components. Yeah, I love what you're saying. I, I think it's right on. Um, so often we approach this by saying, I need to decrease my level of stress before I can X, Y, and Z, right? I need to decrease the pressure in my life before I can take a step forward. And 
I would say that that actually isn't working very well. And instead of approaching it in that way, which I think is very challenging, what I would suggest, and this goes back to that course I taught called, taught called Thrilled to be Alive. What I was doing is I was asking people to recognize that without changing anything in your life, can you connect with the thrill of being alive? Just simply the thrill that you're alive and you have choices and you have possibilities and you have them every day. I mean, that in and of itself is just extraordinary when you connect with it. And when people connected with it, that changed the circumstances in their lives because they saw them differently. They perceived the world differently. So what we're suggesting is coming at it, I don't know if this metaphor is accurate, but it's sort of like the bottom up. In other words, if you can feed awe into your nervous system, you begin to see the world differently and your levels of anxiety and tension decrease as opposed to thinking, well, I need to get a new job before I can relax. I need to get a better relationship before I can be happy. Because those things are fairly ongoing. I mean, we always have some challenging circumstances in our lives. The idea from my point of view is not to wait to resolve them before we enjoy our lives, but to start enjoying our lives, which shifts our state of consciousness, which then helps us make whatever change we need to make. Absolutely. And it also helps with the beautiful shift from being reliant on externals to yes. recognizing that it's actually internally where everything comes from, where everything springs forth, where the experience is really had, and that we don't need outside circumstances to be any particular way. Not only do we not need them, but they very oftentimes we are sort of misled or we mislead ourselves by thinking we do need them, right? Yeah. Um, I also want to go back to a, a word you used. You were you were talking about conditions and you used fear. And I want to suggest that people start thinking about the difference between fear and anxiety because I believe that fear triggers the primitive parts of our brain. I mean, it does, that's proven. And anxiety is not the same as fear. Anxiety is actually the result of the way that we're thinking about things. And we can change the way we think about things. Where fear is a very primitive and deep response to actual threats to our survival. And I think we too often think that we're in fear when really what we're doing is we're making ourselves anxious. And if we're making ourselves anxious, we can do things to decrease that. The awe method is one of them, but there are many, many things we can do. And did you find that the awe method helped your clients who were struggling with anxiety? Yeah, it did help uh, people with anxiety. It helped people with depression the most, which is interesting. That, that was where we saw the greatest improvement. And I think part of that is because when someone is depressed, they tend to lose hope. They tend not to see the future in a very encouraging way. When they reconnected with awe, it brightened their future, which was an incredibly valuable re uh, remedy for depression. And I think so many of us could benefit from that at this time because as circumstances continue to feel, again, overwhelming, frightening for a lot of people. 
there's a, I don't know if the word temptation is right, or a tendency to kind of fall into that hole of there's, you know, there's nothing we can do. It's just going to get worse. And, but the more people that make the choice to be in awe and to put their focus on awe and to take the attention and focus away from the fear and what they feel is not working and see how many, how many beautiful things there are always, how many awe inspiring things that are around us every single moment of our lives, then more of us can have this hope that's going to help us get through and diminish some of the, what we perceive as negative things. And not only that, but it's, it's contagious. So when you walk into a room and you're in a state of awe, it affects other people's nervous systems. We talk about this in the book, and it's a really powerful thing. If you're some kind of a mental health worker or in the healthcare system at all, I believe it's incumbent upon us to carry awe into the relationships with our clients. When we walk into a room and we're in a state of awe, marveling at the possibilities and seeing this other person as an example of awe, it alters their experience of themselves. Definitely, definitely. And, 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 and it's, not a, it's not a Pollyanna, by the way. It's, it's not like we're trying to put sugar on something that's dirty, right? That's not the point. It's a really deep, genuine appreciation for the beautiful and profound aspects of being human. And that's true even when someone's in pain or suffering or hurting. We're not trying to minimize whatever it is they're experiencing. We're just connecting with their humanity at a deeper level. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you you noted that because I think some people do hear this and they think, oh, well, that's just like trying to have a quick fix and trying to see, you know, the best of something that's terrible and try to paint it in a rosy light. But just as you said, it really is fundamentally the truth that it's the opposite, which is that when we are feeling overwhelmed or caught up in things that we find scary or we're depressed that is just a a lens that we're looking through over something that is literally in perfect imperfection that is in a perfect state everything around us is in, in a perfect state but our lenses that are depression fear anxiety create that oh well no actually everything is bad nothing is good nothing is that wonderful but the the ultimate truth i believe is that everything has awe inspiring aspects to it everything and that's the truth. It's not, like you said, it's not sprinkling dust on something that's a turd. <laughs> it's just right. being able to see something for what it is. Yeah. And, and I would say, if you want to talk about sort of ultimate truths, I would say it's that we have a choice in how we view the world. We have a choice in how we relate with other people. And we forget that we have those choices sometimes. I it, the, the after Michael and I wrote the book and we weren't so busy, I developed a course based on the idea that there are six fundamental skills that we need. And if we have these skills, it gives us choice in terms of how we see the world, how we relate to other people, and that it boils down to a few basic, they are skills, they're skills and concepts. And if we practice them, we can change the way we experience the world every day. Do you want to share them with us? Um, I won't go into detail, but um, okay. one of them is the awe method. But I, I will just tell you a little bit that 
at the heart of it, the primary one is understanding that the way, it's what you and I are talking about, the way we make meaning is up to us. An event happens and two people see the same event and they make meaning in different ways. And that's because meaning is subjective. If we can learn how to make meaning in constructive ways, it completely alters our experience being in the world. Another one is to learn to use presence instead of force as a way of relating with people. So much of the time we rely on force. We try to control ourselves or we try to control other people. And really it isn't necessary with the exception of when we're raising children, very young children at times we do need to control. But when we're in adult-adult relationships, if we learn to enter a state of presence, we don't need to control or force other people to do things. It's very powerful and very, it's a very respectful way of being in relationship with other people. And then, and then one of the other ones, I won't keep going, is um, stories, that we make up stories all the time. We don't remember that we're making them up and that there are very specific things we can do. We can learn to edit our stories. We can learn to even stop telling stories, which relates to presence. When, when we're in a state of profound presence, we stop telling all these crazy stories, all the what if, what if you do this? What if I do that? Most of which is extremely tiring, right? And that's definitely a tool that I've used as, as a therapist. I'm a therapist as well. And it's helping people to see and kind of asking what, what's the story that you're telling yourself around this situation? Because we each have it. We have this narrative that we always like to come back to, which is, well, nobody really cares about me. Well, nobody really notices me. Well, I'm never going to be able to achieve this. And we have to identify our, our stories. And then just as you said, the power of presence, which related to the power of awe, is that we drop sort of the, if you will, the ego or the id, the thing that makes us feel like we're separate from. And we have enough respect to show up and just be present and not try to push our story or our agenda or our, you know, feelings about something. We just let it be. And it, it really is a, a, a game changer in relationships because so often people just, it's this tension. It's just trying to push up against each other and show who's right. But when you just show up and allow each other to be present with one another and to share, then it, there isn't so much this you versus me, it's an us. Exactly. Yeah. And the same thing is with awe, the, the awe is occurring because there is no, that thing in you, you're merging with that thing. You're seeing the magic and the amazingness of that thing. And you just feel one with it. That's why there's no words because it's something bigger than, than the human experience. It's going back to the, the greater experience, the, the one, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And the other thing I think you'll appreciate as a therapist is that there are times where people are stuck in their suffering and their pain and too often people think they have to do something or fix something and the power of witnessing which is simply being with another person and genuinely trying to understand without necessarily trying to fix or change anything is a profoundly healing experience for people absolutely absolutely it really shifts you into a different state of being it does and it's another example of presence. Yes. Yeah. Well, all of these concepts, Jake, are so 
powerful. They're so poignant at this time. I appreciate you doing this work. Research is so helpful in allowing people to actually see and understand that these are not just pie in the sky ideas. They're not just, you know, whimsical concepts. They're actually extremely powerful. And they're also, again, what's so beautiful is they're inherent. You don't need right. to go out and buy anything. You don't need to do anything to be able to experience this and utilize and use these tools. It's right there. We all have the ability. Yeah, exactly. And um, the the contradiction or the uh, paradox with our work, with awe being something you can do quickly and easily. And by the way, this is why I developed the other course. The paradox is that if we are going too fast and we're skimming across the surface, then we don't really access our own depth. And so even though Michael and I developed a method that's very short and simple and easy to do, we really are encouraging people to go deeper. And so just as an example, the course I developed is something where you read a booklet a month. It's, it's a short booklet, and then there are audio recordings. But the idea is to spend six months going through the process not try to do it in a weekend, not try to do it in, you know, the fastest possible time you can, and then go on to the next thing. I really encourage people, for example, with the awe practice, the awe method, to, to give it some time to allow yourself to take it to a deep level, because there's so much to be gained by slowing down and connecting with the beauty that surrounds you. Absolutely. And I believe we're only going to see more of it and incorporate more of it into our lives. Because again, as I spoke to, I think more, more and more people are saying, you know, this just isn't sustainable the way we live in constant states of overwhelm and fear. We need more awe. We need more bliss. We need more coherence, connection, being able to be present and truly feel seen and witnessed by others then things truly start to change. And I really do believe that we're reaching that point as more people speak to these concepts, share them, offer them, try them out for themselves. They'll see that there is truly something incredible here. Not only that, but I don't know if you're familiar with The Fourth Turning. It's a book that was written by Neil Howe and I can't remember. Yes. His yeah. So yeah. The Fourth Turning, I won't go into a lot of information, but The Fourth Turning basically identifies these four stages that humanity goes through and a full cycle takes about 80 years and we are in the fourth turning now the last 20 years of a cycle and that period is extremely chaotic which i think people can attest to right very <laughs> chaotic and we have to go through that and come out of it by creating new systems and new leadership and new institutions and new methods that allow us to um, renew ourselves, almost as if we start afresh, right? And that's what's coming. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. I'm a, a full believer in that. That's a big reason why I have this podcast is to connect and give a platform to those who have are, are part of this, of this shift and offering these new concepts that I truly believe are going to be an integral part of the way that we operate in all of our systems. Because all of our systems are, very much so lacking these ways that where humans can connect in a non-reactive, non-defensive way. And when we shift that, that's when we have that next turning where we where we are operating and connecting in much different ways that are much more healthy and come from a loving collaborative place rather than a 
competitive place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. I'm, awesome. I'm glad, you do, I'm glad you're doing this. We, <laughs> Thank Well, right back. You. I'm so, so grateful for your work. Your book is fantastic. For those who would like to find it, The Power of Awe is available, I imagine, on online, it's through your website. Everywhere. It's pretty much everywhere. Um, if people want to experience the awe method with a guided uh, audio recording, we have one on our website. It's called thepowerofawe.com. There's also um, a variety of ex exercises on there to help people experience awe. The book is another opportunity. And then if people are interested in the other course I was mentioning, my wife and I have another website, which is where we have conducted retreats for the last 20 plus years. That's called liveconscious.com, liveconscious.com. And that course is called Transformative Tales. Beautiful. Yeah, that's been a fun project that I've been working on for the last few months and just recently came out. So uh, I'm having a good time with that. Very cool. Very cool. Well, keep on doing what you're doing. It's wonderful. I'm, we're so grateful to have it being brought into the world. And it's it sounds like you got a lot on the table, but what what is next for you in your work with Odd? Does it feel complete? Is it ever evolving? Are you... We're doing more research. We just finished okay. a study at UC Davis with people that had long COVID. Oh. And we were really pleased with the results. They haven't been published yet, but we were really pleased. And we think that's going to lead to more research possibly doing a study of awe with people who have cardiovascular disease. Um, so we're going to continue to do research to document the results we get. Um, and then in addition to that, I, I sort of continue to do writing on other topics that are exciting about helping people really fulfill their potential, which is what I'm all about. Fantastic. Well, Jake, all of this is wonderful. Your work is incredible. Again, very thankful for you. And I appreciate you being on the show and telling us all about your work. Nice to be here. And if people have questions and they want to contact me or Michael, um, I think info at thepowerofawe.com. And we will get back to people, not the same day, but we will get back to people. Okay. And all Thanks those links will, will be in the show notes. So all right. Get Great it there. to connect with you. Great to connect with you as well, Jake. Thank you. That wraps up our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening to Women Waken. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and come back for more. If you'd like to connect with the Women Waken community, you can find us on Instagram at Women Waken. And if you follow Women Waken, you can get a free tarot card reading if you just send a DM. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And don't forget to let your unique light shine into this world.